forgot to push the button twice on that. Say it again, Miss Donna. One last. <laughs> Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. So when we look at the gospel, mm-hmm. the core, the center of it mm-hmm. is Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, within the good news, the gospel as good news, I do think there is room for creation, fall, redemption, new creation mm-hmm. uh, in that. Because for some, they need the bigger picture before they can understand the death, burial, and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Now, some do not. And that's the work of God within it and... I'm not God, and I don't know the difference on that part. Mm-hmm. I just need to be obedient to what I feel the Holy Spirit's guiding me to speak about or preach about. And the same for us just as daily conversation. I don't think every single conversation that we have with somebody to be a gospel conversation has to be where we tell them, Jesus died for you because you're a mm-hmm. sinner, you're going to hell. You need to surrender your life to him as king because he's been resurrected, he died Blood covers your sin, and then you can go to heaven and have eternal life. I don't think that you have to have that with every person to have a gospel conversation. To me, a gospel conversation is when you talk about God in some way that the Holy Spirit's guiding you. That person might not be there yet that they need to hear that. They might need to hear that God created everything and he created it good, and then it got messed up. But it hasn't always been messed up. They might need that part of it. They might need to hear about, yeah, God wants us to be with him in heaven for all of eternity, but he really wants us to be more like Jesus here on earth so we're helping other people that are having broken lives and challenging lives. They might need to hear that part of the new creation and the restoration part there, and then it's going to make sense to them that Jesus died on the cross and why he did that. And that's where we just have to let the Holy Spirit guide us. If you're a believer then you know the gospel well enough to let the Holy Spirit guide you and have gospel conversations to whatever level or terms or parts of God's story that's in there. But since it's preaching, the way, you know, and we have a number of sermons within Scripture, they're definitely preaching death, burial, resurrection, probably some other stuff too along the way. All right? So then once they preached at at Derby, Many people became disciples. Many people believed. Then what did they decide to do? And back, back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Okay. So uh, Peter and uh, Barnabas are on the first first missionary first missionary journey. First missionary you know, is what we kind of copy, yeah. you know, call that. All right. So when we looked at it, um, and I won't redraw it because Scott didn't like my picture. On there, you know, they, they started over here in uh, in uh, Antioch of Syria, and they went over here to Cyprus, and then they came up and they went around through the Mediterranean Sea through Turkey, okay, mm-hmm. and then they got out here to Derby, and that was the final point. Uh, now they're going back through. Mm-hmm. All right, they're retracing their steps, and they'll end up back at Antioch. Mm-hmm. So as they're going back through. What's the first thing that we see that they're doing in verse 22? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. What does that mean to you? What what do you picture that Paul and Barnabas are doing that is strengthening people's souls? Reinforcing the the scriptures that they taught them the first time. Okay, so reinforcing scriptures that they taught before. What else could they be doing that is strengthening the souls of Sharing their experience? Yeah. 
just mm-hmm. giving testimony. Mm-hmm. You know? Because that's another thing, when you're talking to people out in the community, it's always a good feeling when you come across another believer and you know they give you a little word of testimony back and you're just like, okay, you know, that part. Mm-hmm. Secondly, what's it say that they're doing? Encouraging. Okay. And encouraging to do what? Continuing the faith. Okay. So how can you encourage somebody else to continue in the faith? What would you do? What would you say? What could you do? What could you say to be an encouragement for somebody around you to continue in the faith? Believe in them. Okay. Just a simple word. You know, continue to believe in God. Somebody else. I think you'd have to listen to them for just a minute. To see what where they're at, mm-hmm. and then know how to address that from that point. Yeah. Again, back to the relationship. You know, you know, we we need to know them, so then we can listen to the Holy Spirit better. You know? uh, again, one of my statements is, you know, we listen to their story, so that we can see where to connect their story to God's story through our story. But the key is, is as Jerry said there, you know, we need to be listening to people. We need to know where they are so we can meet them where they are. And then we'll make the connection through that. Okay? That's a very great way to be an encourager. How else can we be an encourager for somebody in their faith? Praising them for what they've done so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you know them, come alongside them. Maybe they are in the midst of a valley, but yet... Can you bring their attention back to a month ago, a week ago, when God was using them, right, before they started into the valley, and remind them of that? Somebody else, how can you be encouraging people around you to continue in the faith? What might you do? Maybe it's not something you're going to say, but something you would do. Pray for them. Say again? Pray for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, when we think about something that people need often we talk about you know they need prayer but yet do we do it sometimes prayer gets talked about more than it's actually done (laughs) that's one of the reasons that i typically don't take prayer requests and i just do popcorn prayer because i would rather just give you the opportunity if you have a burden on your heart that needs prayer to lift it up and then as you're doing that then we can be amen you know, with you along there. But I'm not always in favor of when you take 10 minutes and you get 20 prayer uh, requests and then somebody just prays for 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's, you know, the method to my madness on it. Uh, I would rather just get us engaged on that. And then I think I've said it to this class, maybe not everybody was in here on that time. If you have a prayer point on your heart, and you're willing to share it, but you're not willing to pray out loud for it, you need to talk to God about that. But sadly, over the many years in Baptist churches that I have been, many a person has been willing to stand up or speak out and say, hey, we need to be praying for, but when it came time to pray in, they were like, hmm. Now I know, they were probably praying silently, and you know, I've got a bad heart that I'm not knowing that they prayed silently, and I'm calling them out. Uh, on that so yeah I'll, I'll take that one okay so they were strengthening them they were encouraging them to continue in the faith and then saying that through many tri- or many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God yes. 
What are they pointing out there? It's still going to be a rough road. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think sometimes, too, that uh, if you go through tribulations, number one, you think that you're the only one that's ever had to go through this before. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's important that when you get to know people and you know like they're going through something, mm -hmm. uh, like in my instance, it was somebody going through cancer, mm -hmm. that now <coughs> I have also had that experience that if I know that someone knows someone or someone's going through it themselves that I can get uh, next to them and tell them how God has helped me and how he's encouraged me and given me the strength to do those things. So when it says, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God, are they saying that the way you get to heaven is through experiencing tribulation. No. Does it, does it kind of sound like that? It does a little bit sound like that, that it's kind of a works-based, that if, you're, if you do well enough going through tribulations, then you're going to earn your spot in heaven. Well, Jesus said you will go through tribulations himself. So, that, so that's what we have to understand it's not painting a picture of works that would be like, well, if you don't persevere through your tribulation, then you're not going to get saved and you're not going to go to heaven. But if you do persevere, you do get saved and you do go to heaven. We have to help people to understand that's not what they're saying here. They're just clearly articulating and repeating what Jesus said, that if you're a believer, you will suffer. You will suffer. It's just a guarantee. Now, it might be different kinds of suffering. All right. So let's let's just real quick. You don't have to go into any details. But what are different areas or types of suffering? Uh, Miss Donna said cancer. But what are some other things that we suffer through as believers here on earth? Loss of family. Okay. Divorce. Okay. Relationships. Yeah. Keep going. What else? What else? What kind of suffering do we also go through? Financial. Okay. Loss of friendships. Fragrances. Yep. Rejection for faith. Yep. Now, here's where we have to, over time, as we're maturing in Christ likeness, we need to work through what sufferings are we going through because we live in a fallen, broken world, sinful world, that that anybody and everybody can be going through and what suffering are we going through because of our faith now i think that's what they're highlighting here but we do experience both but as we mature in christ likeness we should be able to start to differentiate you know okay i'm probably experiencing this because i'm standing up for my faith this i'm experiencing because we live in a fallen broken world and Corporate sin has caused degradation of life and those types of things. You know, and, and so that's where you know, we have to be willing to start processing through those uh, on why we're experiencing that. I wanted to say that like tribulation, um, the trial and tribulation of Paul era is much different than ours, just like you were pointing out. But I think it's, I, I had it underlined, but I also understood that as, as you know, the whole idea of two real divide from well, two 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 gates, the narrow gate. We're supposed to always be walking through the harder path, which is where the tribulation come. You know, taking a really simple term, 
sometime, you know, this football Sunday. And, you know, the mm-hmm. difficult path would be choose not to watch football, put it on record and go to church, mm-hmm. you know, um, and or it's raining outside and, you know, uh, you don't want to go outside to go mm-hmm. do things around the house, but the right thing to do is to do that. So you're, <coughs> you're compelled to do the right thing. So it's always taking the narrow path. Anything else on those two verses that jumps out at you, makes you think about anything in particular? <coughs> I, think our, I think our tribulation, what we call tribulation here, would be different if you're asking that to a communist country citizen who was practicing their faith. And, you know. Yes, I think you know, in the United States, we have much lighter than many other countries across the world. Yeah. Mr. Clyde? I thought it was interesting. Just think about the testimony. You're sitting in front of a guy that just got stoned and got it and walked away. Uh, that's got to have some bearing on your thinking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. what he just said. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. Yeah. And I think that's one of the ways that Paul strengthened the churches that he had already set up, too, is because they did stone him in Lystra. I'm sure everybody in Antioch and Iconium heard about that. Uh, he had also been run out of Antioch. He had, they had planned to stone him in, Icon- in Iconium. And then he gets stoned in Lystra. So it made sense to go back through and let everybody know, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. God watched over me. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. Yep. And again, that's that testimony. Yep. When we say testimony, most people within church think of your salvation testimony. Mm-hmm. Now, there are times when you need to share your salvation testimony. But I would dare say there might be many more times where you just need to share a testimony of within the last time period, whatever that is. Uh, You don't need to go back and go the whole way to your salvation testimony. They just need to know about how you came through cancer, you kept your attitude very good, and now you use that to help other people. Things like that. All right, so somebody go ahead and read us verse 23 there. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, to me, this is a very important verse. It's a very powerful teaching point. Can anybody guess why I think that? (laughs) Well... No, I wasn't for the fasting, but that is a very good point there. All right. So well, we what, is, elders. <laughs> what is fasting? Let's, let's, we'll talk through that, and then we'll go back to my other point. Denying yourself of something. Okay, so you're denying yourself of something. To replace it with God. To replace it with God. You know, we have to have those two components there, where we're setting something aside in some way that's going to be an inconvenience, it's going to be a challenge to us, but it's for the intention of closer to God. You know, in that. Now, in this day and age, typically it would be food. Yeah. It would be food. You know. For us in our day and age, it can be food, but I think there are some things in some ways that might be harder for you mm-hmm. and to do them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Dee Dee likes to circle back to when we were at Magnolia, uh, Adam Hatley was the senior pastor, and for two years in a row, uh, we both fasted TV for the month of September. So in life, that's probably my biggest vice um, is TV. Uh, growing up, that was, you know, um, not saying that I watch, you know, terrible bad stuff. It's just watching it, so to speak. And so 
in September, not this year, of course, with the strike and everything, and even with streaming and things popping up throughout, but September is typically when the new shows come back. And so that was an even tougher fast uh, to, to go through that part there. Somebody had a hand, Scott. Yeah, but when you, I also think when you fast, you're supposed to spend more time mm -hmm. with God. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if, you're talk, if, you're, if you're taking TV out of your life, mm -hmm. you should be doing something, not, not playing games or anything mm -hmm. to fill that time. You should be more time in the Word, right. things like that. Mm -hmm. I, I think people don't understand that when they fast, what are they supposed to be doing when they're not doing what they're, 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 they're fasting? Yep. They try yep. to find something material to replace what they mm -hmm. it's not That's not what fasting means. Yep. Mm -hmm. you know, no, I, I would agree with you <clears throat> on that because there has to be the two components. Yeah, and that's what yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> the foregoing of something with the purpose, the intentional purpose of getting closer to God. Yes. Yep, good. Other thoughts, Jerry? Well, when, when you fast with food, okay, usually probably about two meals you really start to feel it which in, in many cases, at least it does with me, it humbles me because I start to feel that weakness and I start to feel uh, a little bit different mindset so that I'm allowed God to be able to come mm -hmm. into where if I went and had a smorgasbord and I'm just stuffed, you know, I, I'm just not feeling the same as if I went and missed a couple of meals. And I'm, so to me, the food kind of helps humble me to, to maybe accept what the Lord has for me. Good. Somebody else? A thought on fasting? <coughs> or testimony? Experiential? Well, our family's been fasting since this past Sunday. Um, from we were doing a Daniel fast because one of the gentlemen at our house goes to the village and he's telling us about it so we, we tag along been difficult and a lot of prayer time, a lot of like this, hey, you know, um, help me to like beat this thing, you know, which is mm -hmm. um, with giving up milk, sugar, which for me, my wife is sugar. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, so it's been challenging, and you know, it's multiple times where I just really wanted to just go in there and grab something, some sugar, and put it in my mouth or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Anybody else? All right, so let's go back to the beginning of verse 23 because that's where uh, my main point that I definitely wanted to make sure that we talked about tonight, and that topic is elders. Elders. So we have uh, presbytos is the Greek word here. You know, when we look at uh, the word for elder, this is the literal word for elder. But yet, in other passages of Scripture, we have two other words that are used synonymously with this. So that's where we come to an understanding that there's two offices in the New Testament church. What are the two offices? Deacons, Deacons and elders. So what are the other words that are synonymous with elder? Okay. Pastor or shepherd. Okay. Those two are the same Greek word. And then, yes, no, teacher, okay, and so it could be bishop in there, depending on the English translation of there. So that's where we have to understand whether it's pastor, elder, teacher, um, we're talking about the same office. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the office of elder, I think there's three areas 
that elders should be focused in. One is the oversight of the church, okay? Making sure that we're keeping to God's vision and we're not straying left and right. One area is the solid teaching of God's word, making sure that we're soundly walking through scripture. And then the third area is the shepherding of the flock the tending to, the taking care of, the disciplining of, all of those elements. And so when I look at uh, being an elder, I look at those three areas. Now we always have to understand nobody's going to be a 10 in all three areas. And so when you look at any pastor, any elder, they're going to have strength and they will have other areas that are weakness. And that's where we have to be okay with that. You know, you might get a guy that is a 10 on preaching and he's probably going to be, we'll say a seven or eight on shepherding and on oversight type of thing there. Or he might be a 10 on oversight, but he's only a nine and an eight on the other two. You know, and we just have to be realistic. You're not perfect in in things that you are and who you do, uh, what you do. Um, So we just can't expect that with elders. So when we look at this, they were appointing elders where? In every church. In every church. So what do we need to draw from an understanding point here? They appointed elders in every church. So I guess you say elders is more than one. Okay. But I need, I need to understand something. You say, and Berean, I want to take Berean, you have pastors, are pastors, are you a pastor? Are you an elder as well in this church? So here's where we have to look at what the Bible teaches and how churches choose to govern or their polity. Polity is a big word for how you choose to govern yourself. Okay. So from a biblical standpoint, if you use a title or you're given a title of, you know, elder, teacher, pastor, shepherd, bishop, whatever you're using along those lines, you are an elder. Okay? So that would mean that within our church, Pastor Sean's an elder, Doc's an elder, Brian's an elder, Jonathan's an elder, Jack's an elder, I'm an elder from a biblical perspective, okay? Now, the way churches choose to govern themselves, so that's where for us, we choose to look at elder as a title, even though we would see each other as elders, we look at this official elder council that is made up of vocational elders and lay elders, And so that's where within our church, the elder council was made up of pastor and doc and me. And then on the lay side, Mike Germany, Nate Gant, and Marcus Belt. And so because biblically speaking, elder doesn't mean that you're vocational. Okay. It can be that you're vocational. So when I say vocational, uh, are you understanding where I'm meaning with that? You're being paid, right. you know, that, that's your job, okay? So I had a little few looks there. I just want to make sure we're clarifying for that. But when we look from a biblical standpoint, not all elders were full-time doing it, right? Some were bivocational, so to speak, or, or lay from that perspective. 
And so for anybody that is of that level within the church family of being an overseer, teaching and shepherding, then you're an elder. But yet it's healthy, especially within today's society, to have a polity that's understood and go by that polity. So, so out of curiosity, we, I mean, this is going to sound weird. Brian doesn't have anything considered a bishop, but bishop to me sounds Catholic. Correct, and that's why we don't use that term. Uh, plus, I think it's a weak English translation of the Greek but, there. But it's still considered something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not incorrect in, in translating the term to bishop, but to me, I think that that is, again, I think it's a weaker word. Uh, I don't think that when we look at... We don't our, see it that often. When we understand, what we understand as bishop today was not what they would have understood as bishop then. And so that's why I think it's better for us not to use that term today. Uh, because the way we see that term today is not going to give us a true New Testament picture of what it was back then. And that's why, like for doulos, I think the better translation for that is slave than it is servant. Because I think the way we look at the term slave and the term servant is different than the way they looked at it back then. Yes, I think slave, servant, and bond servant in the New Testament time period were all looked at the same way. They were all bottom of the barrel and had no choice. But the way we look at the terms servant, bond servant, and slave, we rank them. And, and we say they're not all the same. You know, it, it's less and less and less. But back then in Bible times, I think they were all basically treated the same and none of them had choice. And that's the, that's the point of doulos is you have no choice of your own uh, in that. So, but back to, you know, the elders here, I think that there was a multiplicity of eldership. So again, that's the big words, but I think we should understand the big words. It seems like very clearly that they were appointing more than one elder in each church. And so the model of only having one elder per church, I don't think is the best or healthy. But that's technically what most Baptist churches have been doing for 50 plus years. They only have one elder. They never call him elder. They only call him what? Pastor. Pastor, you know, on that. They don't call him teacher. They don't call him anything else. They just say pastor on that. But then there's this other office of deacons. Deacons. And for the last 50 years, especially when we moved through uh, the, the whole uh, business age of the 50s and the 60s, we ended up taking deacons who deacons are in Bible, to do what? Serve. Okay. Deacons are the lead servants in the Bible. But in most Baptist churches, when you came through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, deacons turned into... Elders. They turned into elders from a business model, and they were a board of directors. They took the oversight... But they didn't take the teaching of God's word and they did not take to the shepherding of the flock. <coughs> they only took two were in charge. But going back to Acts, 
wasn't that what the deacons were for was to help the apostles and things like that? Isn't that, is that how it came? But only through serving. Yeah, I agree. Serving widows, yep. orphans, yes. things like that. Yes. And so they, they were not involved in oversight. Okay. And, and they didn't have to be involved in teaching. Now they could be, like we look at Stephen, because as we walked through that at the beginning of last spring semester, and we looked at the first deacons that were selected, one was Stephen. And then a little bit later, we walked right through. Stephen was what? He was stoned because he was preaching. He was proclaiming on that. And so it seems like he started out focusing on serving, but then God continued to call him to be speaking more and to be more of an elder. And so that doesn't always happen. So that's where, for us... I want us to make sure that we're looking at the polity of churches from a biblical standpoint, not what we've been doing for the last 50 years in Baptist churches and thinking that that is right because most Baptist churches have been doing it for 50 years. You know, there's a big difference on what we've been doing in Baptist churches for 50 years and what's the Bible, especially in this area. That's why the last church that my family went to completely failed was because the pastor was being everything for everyone and could not do it by himself mm -hmm. and would not take anyone else on because that was the way the church would run. Yeah, yeah. And so the, yeah, the church last church my, my family left too, they didn't have any elders and the, the pastor was not, wrote, um, he didn't have anybody speaking to him, mm -hmm. um, counseling him. Mm -hmm. so, and, and that's where, now you do need to understand the context of the church you're in and it's going to take a while for the typical Baptist church to move away from the deacons being elders um, and so you've got to figure out how to work that because every hill is not a hill to die on today that's true. and so as pastors you got to work through that and so that's where I think for some churches you know pastors just need to challenge the deacons for this time period you're going to actually not only be having oversight, but you're going to teach and you're going to also shepherd. Uh, and we'll still keep the title of deacon for now because that's just a hill to die on for our church. They're not going to change you know, on that that fast. So again, you've got to work through it. Just because it's right doesn't mean you change it today because it might be more detrimental in the long run. And that's what Pastor did here at Berean. For those of you that have been here long enough, you actually walked through that where when he came in in 07, you know, he was the only elder as the senior pastor. And the buck stopped with him on everything. But then he was convinced that there should be a multiplicity of eldership. And so as he gained more relational time, more preaching time, he helped the church to see this. And then so now for the last three years, we've had a multiplicity of eldership. We're still not where it needs to be, but we're still we're moving in the right direction in that. Clyde, you had your hand up. Well, it's interesting, having been in Baptist churches for quite a while, mm -hmm. also from the side where you just came from. Yep. Um, they never read this verse here where it says elders. Yeah. And the problem mm -hmm. I've seen too many times, along with what you were saying, the, the pastor that comes in there gets this mindset that he is the man, mm -hmm. okay, which really weakens the whole church. Mm -hmm. And when Deke, since you've got no title of elders, okay, uh, usually they 
give them the title of trustees, and they're similar to trustees here. They just do the banking situations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. The deacons that feel led to try to work through this on a biblical basis, whether you got the title or not, uh, fight a battle. Mm -hmm. And the battle's with the one elder who feels like he's the one called Mm -hmm. to do it all. And that's where I've seen in past Baptist churches I've mm -hmm. been in, it becomes a battle zone. Okay? Yeah. In fact, I've sat in deacons meetings when mm -hmm. you try to bring something up along something and man, it's like hitting that wall over there mm -hmm. when you would. And if you were the one that brought it up, somehow or another you were on somebody's blacklist pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and chastised not openly, mm -hmm. but, but sometimes openly. And it's sad because <laughs> the church is hurting. Oh, yeah. Those churches are hurting uh, and they're losing people because, um, and when a guy stands in the pulpit and reminds you that he is chosen by God to be mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. you know, there's some people coming back against that if you come back and read mm -hmm. what it's, and there's no, you get no relief from it, so you have to leave. I mean, unfortunately. Now, with that, I would dare say, though, the problem with many of the deacons is they want the oversight of the three, but they don't want to live the spiritual high life of teaching God's Word and being in God's Word, and they don't want to really be part of the shepherding. They just want to make the rules on how people are to be shepherd. Now, at the same time, you've got pastors that they come from a biblical standpoint that they are correct, but yet they don't want multiplicity of eldership, which then puts them in the wrong. And so, again, there's a lot of wrongs on both sides of the Baptist pastors that I know and the Baptist deacons that I've known. And my solution to all of them is come back to the Scripture. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, and, and also you're generalizing. Yes. I mean, it's not... It's not all. All, but yeah. Any, any. Yeah, I mean, when we look at an association like New South River and there's 113, you know, works, I wouldn't say that all 113 are like that. Probably 100, but not 113. <laughs> we know what you just said as far as... My wife's saying I shouldn't do that because I shouldn't say that in jest. Uh, I probably should not say that in jest even though that's probably reality <laughs> of some level. I don't understand what you mean. So, so I've come out of the Southern Baptist world uh, since Dee Dee and I got married. I've been part of a Baptist, Southern Baptist church, first at Center Baptist and then Temple, Magnolia, Highland on that. And so within the Southern Baptist, and it's technically not a denomination, but that's the word everybody understands. Uh, so within the Southern Baptist denomination, every church is autonomous. Okay, it's not like the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, which is hierarchical. But people have experienced all those, and so they think that within the Southern Baptist Convention, it's hierarchical. And so the Southern Baptist Convention tells the churches what to do, and, and they don't on that. So every church is every Southern Baptist church is just as autonomous as we are on that. Now you have the opportunity to choose to be in cooperation with other local churches. And so typically, a Southern Baptist Association in North Carolina is about the size of a county. And so the local association here is basically Cumberland County and the western half of Sampson County. And it's called New South River Baptist Association. 
And so within the state of North Carolina, there's 76 associations that make up or that then choose to cooperate with the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina, which then churches choose to cooperate with the Southern Baptist Convention of the United States. And so it's choosing to cooperate. And so when I reference that there's 113 works, that means within New South River, there's 113 churches. And so that, that's that's where those numbers are under coming the from. Southern under the Baptist Southern Baptist, yeah, yes, yeah, within within Cumberland and Western Half, there, there are a couple from Hogan and that. Gary, <coughs> it changed subject. Yes, good. Some clarification on this, since you mentioned churches, yep. it says elders in every church. Yes. Okay, I take there is more than one church. Yes. But give me the picture. You know, you can look outside Fayetteville, you can find. You know, a lot of churches. Seeming, so, seemingly, typically, during this time period, we would say there would be one body of believers in each town. Because the towns were not that big. Often, we read, and that's what helped being in Israel, was being able to literally go to and see. So, like, AI. You know, when, when I always visioned AI as this big, you know, place. Well... AI <clears throat> technically isn't that much bigger than the property we own as Berean Baptist Church. Wow. That, that, that's, that's the city of AI. And so when you think about having a church in these cities, now some of these cities are big, a little bigger. You know, some of these cities might be like Stedman size or like Rayford size, you know, or, you know, where you have like at least three or four streets, you know, type of thing there on that part. That's what I was pitching. It was too small to have that many churches. Correct. So how many churches did they have? Because it sounded like they only had room for one, maybe two. Yeah. So what they're saying there is when they went back through each city, for the church that's in Iconum, they made sure they picked a couple elders, a couple good spiritual men to be elders in Iconum. And then, you know, they had did it in Derby, and then they go to uh, where the Antioch and Lystra. And so... For the church in Lystra, the church in Antioch. Good clarification on that. And at any point, you know, especially when I'm like really just, you know, bantering on about a topic that you're like, move on. Just ask a question, we'll move me off of that. So, but well, multiplicity of eldership is very important. Uh, but you need to be an elder that is focused on, you know, you get to have the responsibility and the authority of being an overseer. But you always have to do that through the spiritual part of the word and teaching it and being a shepherd. And so having oversight is really a lot more burden than what a lot of people think that it is. You know, when pastor talks about, you know, that he's on the hook for your spirituality as part of the shepherd, you know, as he's the over, uh, uh, under shepherd over the whole Berean family, but you're part of the flock, you know, that is truthful. You know, it, it's, you know, it's a burden for me when I think about you and I think about your faces and am I coming along setting the example? Am I coming along and am I shepherding? Am I teaching correctly? And then am I giving good guidance to stay on the vision? It's not a power trip. You know, it's a very much, I, I have to stay within where God wants us to be. Somebody had a hand earlier. Lynn? 
um, but you kind of walk, you're walking into my question. Okay. Um, you have a multiplicity of elders in this church. Yes. Uh, both lay elders and, you know, um, uh, vocational. Vocational, yeah. Mm-hmm. So even at the end of the day, you still, um, they're not all equal. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the buck stops on mm-hmm. one of those elders. Mm-hmm. I'll lead elder, mm-hmm. call him a pastor or mm-hmm. whatever, but you have a lead elder and uh, yeah, so and that avoids conflict. Well, you're still going to have discussions, but yes. a decision has to be made about the direction the church is going to go, mm-hmm. and that's just what you're talking about relative to uh, the burdens or the responsibility. And that's why, and that's why within Berean. We divide the polity up to we have pastors that have a job description and day-to-day responsibilities. So pastor has you know oversight and responsibilities over staffing, over all who's preaching, and those types of areas. Doc has over all the maintenance, over HR, over the budget. I'm over missions and I'm over adult discipleship, you know. Um, but then we also wear the other hat then of being on the elder council. Everybody that's on the elder council, we look at the, the preaching, we look at the oversight, we look at the shepherding, but we do it more from a 30,000 foot view. So like for the, the lay elders, they being lay elders, they don't have the time and the opportunity to be in the details of the day-to-day as the paid pastors do. And so that's where we differentiate those options or those choices or those powers. But yet, within the elder council meeting, if somebody starts to think that pastor's moving off in the wrong direction or that doc, pastor, and I are moving off, then they point that out. And then we talk through that to see, okay, maybe we are going off on this direction a little bit and we need to course correct and we need to come back. And that's the key with having a multiplicity of eldership, going back to what Clyde was talking about there. There's built-in accountability. And, and that's where that within the polity, if let's just say pastor doesn't course, course correct. Right? So then as the elder council, then our next step is to bring it to the whole church. Because just like when pastor talked about, you know, we are member accountable within our polity. Now that's two directions. That means that members are accountable to own the ministry of Berean, but it also means that the elder, the elders, the leadership, the pastors are also accountable to the church. Because if pastor doesn't course correct <coughs> from the other elders coming alongside him, then the elders are gonna bring it to the whole church and the whole church is gonna vote because that's who has the power to get rid of the pastor on that. And so that's the whole setup of the accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, I think I mentioned, you know, mentioned before, I've always been able to push back on pastor as we were friends over the uh, 15 plus years. <coughs> I was concerned that that would be tempered uh, coming on staff. And so he says, I don't think it is, but talk to Doc and talk to Jack. Because since I had good friend, good relationships with them, and so I talked to them, and they were like, no, he, he's always the same. You know, as long as you have a solid point that you're coming from to push on, he's always open to hear it and listen to it. Now, if you're 
flim flam and you're just throwing stuff out there. Uh, no, he's not going to listen to that very well. You know, I mean, that he's just not. But when you have a good point, you know, when you have a good perspective, you know, and, and he's always asking for that. Uh, you don't always see that as, as church members, but he's always asking for, I'm thinking this, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Whether it's officially through an email or through passing conversation, you know. Now, at times it can seem like, you know, he's, and, and that's what it is. But he's processed through that and he's sought other people's thoughts through that. So like he's working through his sermon for this week uh, in the John chapter 4, and he's working through how he wants to make a statement within the sermon from the passage. And so he shot a statement to all the pastors and elders on Monday, and he said, you know, Brian, blank, 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 blank. Is this biblical? Is this aligning? You know, what are your thoughts? I, I, I want to make sure that I'm not going, you know, too far one way or the other. And so that's where we all got the opportunity to speak into. Did we think the way he worded that statement was, you know, and we pushed back and forth. You know, it took me a whole day before I replied to it because I just, I really wanted to process through because technically, yes, the statement was there, but yet, you know, there's a subtle nuance there. And so I just had to process through that. And so, but, you know, pastor does that, even though as members, you might not realize he does that. Uh, he, he, he's never making a decision without talking to somebody. That's refreshing because of where we it's came from before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where we came from before, there was nothing like that. It's refreshing to Ever. have that here. But now, having said that, you know, with the responsibilities of the senior pastor in the Constitution, now he will make a decision, you know, and... and you know, when a decision time is coming, he's not going to waffle. But that's what you expect from a leader. Yeah. And I'm not saying you have to call him a leader. That's what you do yep. expect. That's why he is there. But he also, there are check imbalances and there are other influences. Not He's just not, he's not, one pastor does not make a church. Yes. Yeah. So, And I know that was a long conversation on that tonight. But to me, again, from my perspective, most Baptist churches are not in biblical alignment. And so that's where we individually have to get our perspective aligned with Scripture. Now, theoretically, we could all be here for the rest of our lives and we're not going to have that much influence on other churches. But you never know, God might move us to another city or somewhere, other, another church within Fable for some reason, maybe not a negative, but like a positive one on that part. And you're going to have an opportunity to bring influence with your perspective now that we've walked through this. And again, even if they're off, that doesn't mean you change it on day one. You, know, you might have to live with it, you know, for a while. You know, when we went to Highland, you know, everywhere was monochrome pink tan. Okay, every wall, including the trim, was painted tan. <coughs> but had a pink undertone, you know, because tan, you know, it'll have a pink undertone, it'll have a blue undertone, it'll have a green undertone, you know, in that, it was all pink. (laughs) It was terrible. Okay. Well, I mean, it took how long, honey, before we were able to start painting things? I mean, it probably took a good four years 
before we could paint anything and get it, you know. And I remember finally we painted the children's hallway. And we painted like the murals on there. Uh, they probably weren't as good as our murals in our nursery, but we, we you know, and everything puts on there. They were pretty good though. And that, and all of a sudden, somebody goes, "Man, we got crown molding in this hallway. I, I'm glad you guys put the crown molding up there." I'm like, "No, it's always been there. It was just everything was the same color, and you just didn't know it was there." And, uh, you know, and it's like, you know, like Wednesday night. You know, we came from Magnolia where we, we had prayer meeting for 45 minutes and Bible study for 45 minutes. And we went to Highland and we did it all in 45 minutes. I called the chairman of Deacons, Woody, on the way home that night. And I'm like, this got to change. And Woody, he was just like, Michael, you know, this is your first week here. You know, let's just wait a little bit. You know, and, and then the other part was his choir practice. And so people were bailing from Bible study to go to choir practice. And I, my wife says I got to quit on that part. Yeah, so, yeah, but finally Miss Nancy moved to, to before Bible study. I was like, go Miss Nancy. But just uh, with that, um, okay, let me close in prayer. Father, I thank you for just uh, a blessing of being around each other tonight. And Father, help us as we continue to live out our life as believers to more and more align ourselves with your word and not with what we think from tradition or where we've been, but yet we try very hard to freshly look at the topics from the passages that we're reading right then. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat>